Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, Metsville and baseball fans everywhere. My name is Michael O'Colin, a.k.a. the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger. Shameless plug. We love doing that here. On behalf of my partners, I welcome you back to another episode of a Metsian podcast. Uh, we have a World Series winner. Congratulations to the Nationals in the D.C. area. Uh, that being said, the offseason is upon us. We have much to discuss. Uh, so let me bring on my partners and cohorts in this, and get this conversation started. Uh, converted Mets fan, Sam Maxwell. Hello. Hello, Mr. Trolley Blogger. Um, I'm very excited to get on here and talk some baseball. Congratulations to the Washington Nationals as much as if I play into my superstitions, I feel like I may have something to do with it. Uh, or it could have just been Clayton Kershaw's uh, tenacity for blowing it in the playoffs, but I don't want to throw any shade at Clayton right now for letting the door open, although the, the to the Nationals' credit, every time the door opened, they kicked it uh, uh, even wider open. So uh, congratulations to the Washington Nationals. They, they finally earned it. I, I, I had a problem with them kind of reacting as if they, they had already won it. But as we may speculate on for years to come, depending on the other side of things, it may have been the Bryce Harper effect. I like the way history spins around and repeats itself. So, again, congratulations to them. Sam, uh, before we bring on our, our other partner here, why don't you take a minute out and, <laughs> or a second and take a, a shameless plug. Tell us what I feel you're like doing I feel like a shell of the shameless plug, but I'm always screenwriting. I'm always acting, as we all are, with life being a stage. And I'm always filmmaking. Uh, I, you can find me a converted Mets fan, although, unfortunately, it's going to be way, way uh, behind. Um, you can find me on uh, Beckford and Sullivan, uh, the story of Brooklyn and its Dodgers, which is a developing show that I want to make about Brooklyn and its Dodgers. And uh, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Sam Maxwell. Our equal is Rich Sparago. Hello, my friend. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Sam. And echoing what Sam said, it's great to have some New York Mets news to talk about. Um, it has been five and a half weeks since Dom Smith hit one over the right center field wall to end the season. Five and a half weeks. Um, I don't know about you, but that's gone quickly for me, which is good. But there hasn't been a lot of, you know, other than Mickey being dismissed, it's been sort of a lull. We've been waiting for this moment. Now we have something to talk about. Rich, I know you're a fellow Giant fan, if I may digress. Uh, Every year is different for me, the way I transition from one sport to another. Uh, You know, sometimes it's 
just got awful difficult, and sometimes I just snap right into it. This year, I snapped right into Giants football. I knew what was ahead. Uh, I'm not depressed, but how are you feeling about what's going on in Giantsville? Um, I see it as a transitional period that the organization is in. I, I you know, if, if you're going to put Daniel Jones in, which I think was the right thing to do, I still don't understand why people question that draft pick. Um, he was available and they grabbed him. But if you're going to change quarterbacks, you have to expect to have some growing pains, and um, and that's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to take a year or two for them to turn things around to get settled in under Daniel Jones. So the short answer to the question, Mike, is. I think they did the right thing, and as part of that process, that's what's happening now, and I'm okay with it. I mean, uh, I like watching the kid make his mistakes. I like watching him develop and grow. I love watching Barkley. I know they're not winning, but, but you know, I, I, I think they're, they've turned a corner. There will be some pain ahead, but I think they've turned the corner to better things. Can I just say that there's actually, that there's actually a, a Mets connection right now because of the black cat last night? Right. Ah, there you go. There you go. The black cat incident. Chalk went up the stand there. Gentlemen, let us take one small step into the off season and celebrate one giant leap in the career of Carlos Beltran, named the 22nd manager of the New York Mets. Number 15 is back. My opening question to you both, after seeing and listening to Carlos Beltran at the press conference, how do you now feel about the Mets' newest hire? We've discussed him previously, to him being officially named. We were unanimous in our predictions, along with Mark Healy, and that Beltran would indeed be named the new Mets manager. And here we are. He is the 22nd manager of the New York Mets. So, Rich, I'll turn it over to you first. And the question is, how do you feel after the presser? Well, you know, it's interesting, Mike. I mean, I have a couple of things to say to that. Number one, I was listening to Evan Roberts on Saturday. He put a poll out on Twitter. And, and where I'm going with this is two of his choices were, how do you feel about Beltran? Well, one choice was, I'm thrilled. The other one was, I prefer Girardi, but I'm good with it. I'm good with Beltran. Then there were some other negative responses. And so he said that the most answers, most individual answers, came in, in option two, which is, I'm fine with Beltran. I would have preferred Girardi. And that's where I am. So I really feel with where the team was um, and where they are, of a, an experienced manager would have made more sense, but that's in the past now. Um, I'm okay with Beltran. He was my second choice of the whole field. I'm glad he got the job. And after the press conference to answer your question, how can you not love the guy? I mean, literally, how can you, if you have a pulse and a heart and a brain, not love this guy? I mean, he wants this job. He's emotional about it. He's passionate about it. He's personalizing it. Um, you know, I'm going to take a, a one-second digression here. There's a TED Talk out there called Start With Why. And really what it means is if you explain the why of something as opposed to the how and the what, if you start with why, people connect with you. That's what Beltron did. He's here because he wants to be here. Not, he didn't say I'm the most qualified. He didn't say I'm this, I have a Hall of Fame career. He didn't say that. He said, I'm here because I want to be here. I'm emotionally invested here. I want to change the script. I want to rewrite the story. These are all emotional statements that speak to his why, and I think that's what is helping people connect to him. I, didn't, I don't feel like I needed that. I, I'm happy with him in the first place. But after listening to the press conference and, and you hear about 
it's it's visceral with him. It's below the surface with him, and and you just are drawn to that, as I am. So I'm I'm very very happy. I'm a very happy Mets fan right now. Well done, Rich and Sam. Keep it on an emotional level, you know. And I speak generally here. If you were unsure before, I'm sure you're feeling better now. What say you, Rich? Uh, excuse me, Sam. Um. Well, you know it's. The pressers, at first glance, are just such throwaways. Uh, And the more you kind of break them down, the more they they actually have a little bit of of depth because they all seem so shallow. They all seem exactly how every single one goes, no matter what happens after. So it's hard to figure out because at this point it's like we've done this so often you're really getting used to it and there's only been so many times um, that you can say you were satisfied even when the Mets went to the World Series as we'll kind of get into it when we get into more specifics regarding a Mr. Terry Collins we didn't we're you know as, as nostalgic as parts of Terry can be we are, are still not completely thrilled with the managing job that he did. Um, and, and so even after like certain successes happen, you, you can never really, you know, judge exactly how these things are because it's similar to the way the, the Mickey one went. I mean, some people like to, to try to break it down. You, you look at it like, uh, you know, I saw on Twitter, some people were like, Carlos seems much more uh, uh, genuine than Nikki did. Nikki seemed like he was trying too hard. And who knows whether that's the case. It's so subjective, all these little details. Um, but in retrospect, looking back on this specific presser, and like leading up to it, it was very surreal for me that Carlos Beltran was all of a sudden manager of the New York Mets and that somebody – who I still was getting used to being in retirement as a player is all of a sudden the manager of my favorite baseball team. And I'm going to see him daily in a Mets uniform again, except this time in a completely different capacity. And I'm going to be analyzing him and breaking down the type of job he's doing. And it's, it's, it, it, it still it still hasn't really settled in, although it's starting to be more excitable to me. And I I I started reading um, this article on NewJersey.com, and I don't know why I went specifically there. I think I was searching for exactly to to, uh, to try to be reminded exactly what Carlos said when he was uh, uh, speaking in Spanish, um, and. Uh, because I, 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 I liked the fact that he got emotional about that, uh, especially after the fact finding out that he is the first Latino manager in New York sports history. You guys uh, reminded me off air that it's not just baseball history, that it's New York sports history. And um, so I, I was reading this article, and the first thing in terms of breaking down, I guess what Brody said, and I know we're, we're going to – go to a lot of things that Brody said later, but Brody when talking about Carlos and, and fan, the fan WFAN this morning when I was listening to it uh, the morning show uh, kept mentioning how uh, 
Brody just kept saying in his prepared remarks, Carlos. He was he he wouldn't use a pronoun <laughs> regarding Carlos. He just kept saying Carlos, Carlos, Carlos. And they made a point about it on the morning show, which is actually very funny. Um, but uh, Brody uh, said that one of the first things uh, that stuck, stuck out to him about Beltron was Beltron's poise. And while reading that, I stopped reading the article and I just went off on this Twitter rant about it, was that it dawned on me how it, it, it is both emotional, for sure, the decision that Carlos made about the Mets uh, in this particular juncture, but it, it, it's crazy to me, considering that we were just talking about recently, like within the last few, like over the years, uh, that Beltron would, would shun the Mets when it came to his potential Hall of Fame ballot, when it's pretty clear that his best years were with the Mets, uh, even though he, he made his career as a, a Royal and the other teams, he just padded on properly to his hall of fame credentials. And um, we all thought that he would just be like, forget about the Mets. But before he, when discussing about the job, he even mentioned that he'd have to seriously consider the Mets. Um, but then in, in, in all of that, after that, he also said, I only want the Mets job and then got it. And, Fans have been maligning him for since 2006 because of they think that he was great, that he was the greatest center fielder they've ever had, and yet they still malign him for the called third strike. And 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 and, and I understand it, and I'll, I'm going to break down in a second why. But like through all of that, he he still decided he wanted to come back and. He obviously said he had that. The last thing he said was, I want to rewrite history. So it's obviously on his mind, which is either too emotional or he knows that this is his legacy, is the Mets. And, 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 and in that poise, obviously, who knows how he's going to handle the bullpen? Who knows how he's going to handle anything? But first impressions, I have always thought that – Beltron got a bad rap, especially I think Aaron Heilman is the number one culprit here, uh, even though the Mets should have scored after Andy Chavez made the catch. You can't talk about Carlos Beltron until he wins a championship with the Mets. You can't talk about Carlos Beltron without speaking about 2006. So in all of that, he was like, forget about the Padres, forget about any other job he mentioned in, in that I want the Mets job, and I only want the Mets job. And it makes me excited to see the job he can do, especially with a team coming off of 86 wins who could have had a lot more. Pick it up from there, Rich. Well, I think a lot of what Sam said is is what I was getting at too, which is um, he he said all the right things. You know, he – He's helping. Uh, he's saying what we want him to say, and I and with Beltron, it comes off as very genuine, right? And I think that really matters. Um, he's saying the things that I connected with were the things Sam said. He wants to rewrite the narrative or the history or however you want to say about it. I forget the exact word, but he wants to rewrite history and, and change the ending of the story. Um, well, we connect with that as fans. 
he still lives in New York. His kids go to New York. His kids go to New York school. So he wants to be here. He, the only job he wanted was the Mets job. I mean, you put all that together, put all that on the table. And it's like I said earlier, how do you not connect emotionally with this man if you're a Mets fan? I challenge, even if you're, I'm sorry to use the term, but even if you're one of what I consider the lunatic fringe that holds the strike three against him in 2006, if you watch that press conference, how can you not connect with this guy and say this guy, like Sam said, best center fielder I've ever had, perhaps one of the best position players I've ever had, for sure, one of the best position players I've ever had. A guy who loves New York, wants to be here with the Mets, um, all these things, the, the list goes on and on and on. So let's get going here. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There's not a lot. He doesn't have the experience. We know that. Um, but on the other hand, you can make an argument that successful managers often don't. Davey Johnson didn't, and he won two years uh, in his third season after getting the job, and he won. So, I mean, I, what's not to like? That, that's my question is what's not to like – you could point to the lack of experience. Okay, I get that. But then I quickly get away from that because look at Aaron Boone. Look at, um, look at other guys like, like I said, Davey Johnson. Look at guys like that who can succeed without a lot of experience. It's what they surround him by on the bench and what they put on the field that will matter. But um, all those intangibles, you know, like wanting to be here, connecting with players. Think about what Carlos Correa said. He'll be great culturally. He'll turn that team into a winner. I mean, people don't come out and say these things unless they're true. So Beltron seemingly has mastered all the soft skills, connection with the, the city and an emotional connection with the fans, ability to motivate players. Everybody in his past that he's touched says the guy's amazing. He checks all those boxes. So I'm, I'm ready to go with this guy. I really am. And can I also uh, interject that he was bad at you know, quote unquote, at the New York style at the beginning. You know, he he wasn't great at this entire New York thing, and now he's completely. And, and he knows this is, you know, like 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 the Mets job is arguably harder than the Yankees job when it comes to managing. Like like he understands both sides of things at this point, and he's ready to come back to the Mets. Especially in, in, in like, it's good about the fans, man. Like everything we know about the way the Wilpons seem to operate, like, and and something that we're going to get into in terms of the off season, um, maybe what they're doing, and this is just totally popped in my head, literally in the moment, is understanding that they can't, they have to be quote unquote creative, and they think Carlos Beltran is the one to put them over the edge. He's definitely running towards the fire. You know, the irony of getting booed by the fans and, and that 2010 disagreement with the front office over surgery and not having, not having it, uh, as you guys said, you know, wanting to manage the Mets and only the Mets, and him saying, you know, rewriting history, he's he's cognizant. He, he, he acknowledged what happened and, I think he's very motivated to rewrite history. But the fact that he brought it out, uh, I thought it was very, uh, very telling, you know, uh, uh, how should I say, on a, on a relatable level to fans, as if to say, you know, all these years later, I'm sorry, let's try to make this better. 
something to that effect. I don't know. But let's speak to some of the bullet points uh, that these guys brought up. Uh, BVW brought up, Sam, as you say, toys. BVW brought up trust and growth and a winning mindset and, and, and Carlos Beltran's appreciation for players. Uh, Carlos Beltran mentioned uh, Alert Baird uh, that he knew from Kansas City, and he brought up Omar Minaya, whom he previously known knew from the Mets. Uh, Beltran said his familiar, familiarity with these people was was you know part of the reason why he's coming here, and he said something I find very curious that you know the relationship with a general manager or between general manager and manager should be one of, you know, best friends, to paraphrase. I'd like you to comment on that one, Rich. Well, that is an interesting one, right? And, you know, at the end of the day, they have to work together. Um, And so I think as I read between the lines on that one, Mickey Calloway was here when Brody got the job. Uh, Brody through chairs, you know, through a chair, let's say we know that that's a fact. Um, and so there you go right there. What I think he's saying is I was here with a guy who I didn't know, wasn't my guy, kind of pissed me off at times. So now I've got my guy, you know, I've gone through the process. I've been able to have multiple interviews with this guy, conferred with my fellow home, my fellow uh, head office people, and we made a mutual decision. So I can work with this guy. This is my guy. I think that's what he's saying. And, and you know, Mike, this is something we've talked about on this podcast for years. Uh, we, we agreed that Mickey was on a short leash when Brody got the job because he wasn't his guy. That's not – I don't think it's anything personal to Mickey. That's just the way sports go. That's the way the, the sports world goes. You know, when a GM takes over and there's a a manager in place or a head coach in place, very typically that head coach or manager doesn't last very long. So I think that's what, what, um, what Brody was saying. He's saying, this is a guy I can work with. I've selected this guy. We're going to stick it out through thick and thin, as opposed to somebody who, you know, I didn't know from Adam. I, I think that's what he meant. And I think that's a good thing. They have to be in harmony. They have to be in sync. So, again, one more positive, another positive checkmark. So, Sam, we know going into this is going to be a collaborative effort. Uh, Beltran is is fully willing to participate in that kind of uh, manager front office relationship. So, you know, best friends with the general manager. And and where do you sit on the rest of those PowerPoints that Brody brought up? Trust, growth, mindset of winning, and appreciation of players. I think it's easily make funnable. Um, but the way that, you know, baseball works, the way that life works, the way that society works, uh, is turnover. Brody is new at this. Carlos is new at this. And not to say that growth and players and all all this this type of stuff isn't, isn't, uh, uh, you know, is new, you know, it, it, it's obviously, you know, and a lot of it's very corporate talk in many ways. Um, but I, 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 I think that I think that, that that's the most wooden of the 
uh, as much as I like Wood, and I respect Wood, to quote uh, um, Mr. Larry David, but uh, it's the, it, it, I think that type of talk is the most wooden of, of the press conference, the thing that it, it, it's so easily mockable on WFAN, and as was Carlos and Carlos. I'm not sure if you guys heard the morning show, but that was the, a very funny moment. And, and, and um, to real quickly tangent, I have been away from sports radio for a while, and I'm just getting back into it. And I'm happy that I, you know, just being a driver again, that I'm, I'm listening to that stuff. But side note, um, so, yeah, with, with all that, that type of talk, it's just, it, it's all, it's all, until you see between the lines, yeah, how can you really analyze that type of stuff? What if I said to you, just to get into this Brody Beltran relationship. What if I, I let, let me put out these pairings and then tell me how you feel. Doug Melvin with Gerardi or Showalter. Chaim Bloom with perhaps Joe Madden. Or here we are with BVD or Carlos Beltran. Just those three, very simply. How do you feel about that, Rich? Well, you know, I, it's hard to answer, Mike, because we don't know Carlos Beltran, the manager. Um, we think we know what, why this is in place. I mean, you have BVD who, uh, or BVW, I should say, who, um, who. Yeah, did I start that one? I think I. I, I, I think I, 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 I mimicked it. I'm, I apologize. I, I didn't do it intentionally. I think it just was in my head. Um, so with BVW, I think clearly he wants to be in control. You know, he, he wants to push the analytics down, and Beltron, at least we have reason to believe, will be receptive to that. So using a couple of your other examples, um, I believe you went with Haim Bloom and Joe Madden. And, yeah. you know, that situation where Haim Bloom is, is sort of like a, uh, I'm being snarky here, a smarter Brody Van Wagenen. You know, he's, he's clearly one of the most intelligent baseball executives there, there is out there. And um, and so here you have a guy. I mean, if Brody knows the analytics, Ian Bloom wrote the analytics, you know. So here's a guy like that who would want to push them down on a manager. So if you if Madden is that guy, I don't know. You know, Madden seems to be a feel manager to me. So that might be a, a rocky relationship. Uh, Madden certainly likes to do his magic stuff, and he believes in the emotional connection, the players, and all of that whereas Bloom is clearly analytics-driven. So I wonder how that would work. You, you could make an argument that would yin and yang beautifully because you use the analytics for what they're worth, but then you, you're still managing people at the end of the day. So Madden would be able to do that, and Bloom would be able to give them the analytics. And, and you could either say they would clash or they would beautifully complement each other. Um, and what was the other combination you had? Uh, what did I say? Uh, Doug Melvin and the combination of you know, Girardi or Walter. Thank you, thank you. Um, so that's one where they would be monolithic, I think. You know, Melvin is is, um, is analytics-driven. Walter and Girardi are too. So you did, you came up with some very good examples because with Brody and, and Carlos, you have one thing. Then you have the yin and yang and, and the opposite perspectives of Bloom and Madden. And then Melvin and Walter Girardi – would be very monolithic. They, they would drive the analytics all the way. Um, I don't know about their ability to do the human side of managing and relate to the people, 
but it certainly not hasn't been characterized as as the strength of either Melvin nor either of those managers. They're they're, they're more analytics driven. So it would be an interesting thing to look at. Um, again, don't know. I, I think the one in front of us, you know, with Brody and Carlos, is the one that that's the most unknown because so we just don't know how that's going to work out. And I'll leave it with this. Logically, it should work. It, you know, if the front office is pushing analytics down on Carlos, okay, fine. We want this guy in the lineup. That's fine. But think about everything you've heard about Carlos. Think about what Correa said, everybody else said. Connects, great communicator, motivator, all those things. So you've got the analytics working here. I know you're not seeing my hand in the air. got the analytics working here. You've got <laughs> the human connection working here. It should work. I'm very confident it will. And, you know, maybe it's off-season, uh, maybe just off-season um, opioids in my body or something. I don't know. But I, I'm feeling really good about it. So, Sam, you oh, know, I threw, I threw out Doug Melvin and Girardi and Showalter, Heim Bloom with Joe Madden. Uh, and before I expand the equation on you, you know, does this make you or does this leave you wishing or are you confident marching forward with what we got? Now, before you answer, here's my expansion. Another combination, obviously, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman. In Boston, it is now Heim Bloom and Alex Cora. Going back to the Yankees, the Yankees get things done this time around with trades, money, and farm system manipulation. Boston did it purely with money and, and uh, several call-ups. And then I'll point to Jeff Ludnow uh, and A.J. Hinch in, in Houston, and they go by strong analytics and less money, uh, but they also undertook a, a major, major tank job in order to get some of these players through the draft that they have. That's a bunch of combinations there. Let's, for argument's sake, throw Mike Rizzo and Dave Martinez in there as well as they are World Series champions. It's a lot of combinations. So how strongly do you feel about Brody Van Wagen and Carlos Beltran moving forward? And, of course, you know, they have to be supplemented uh, with, with with money. You know, so without having to digress that way, what you comfortable with our combination, our duo, going up against uh, some of the league monsters? The first thing that I think, having heard all of this and thinking about who we have, is that it's very produced by the will funds. However, that doesn't necessarily mean it'll always fall short. Now, the first year of half of this combination um, produced more wins, and as Brody pointed out, by uh, actually, I guess he pointed out that there were 10 games over 500. I don't think he pointed out how many games they gained in their standing. But anyway, um, I, I think that the bottom line is if they get any worse, then that, that, that speaks volumes here. And, and Carlos, basically what I'm saying is that Carlos can't have a 2005. <laughs> now, mind you, like in Stupa, his 2005 wasn't terrible, but it's kind of like, you know, 2005 is the Bobby Vanilla curve grading, you know? And that's the problem with that one is that it was 
you know, you look at Bobby Vanilla's numbers, and he wasn't terrible for the Mets. It was just a terrible era, and he didn't perform completely up to expectations, especially when it comes to as a person <laughs> in the clubhouse. Uh, Carlos was obviously better in the clubhouse, and they had substantially more success during the time that he was here. Um, but his, you know, with with this coming year, um, he needs to this free agent signing needs to be needs to follow the '86 wins uh, better than it followed the 2004 season. And you know, I'm a big fan of Carlos, so I don't mean to like be like throwing shade his way here about 2005. But 2005 was definitely not what we know Carlos Beltran could be. And we need Carlos Beltran to show us 2006 before he ever shows us in 2005 as a manager. Uh, you caught me in mid-sip of my Snapple. Proud sponsor of the Netflix podcast. <laughs> Well, because I probably changed it so awfully, you thought I was going to get back on track. But, uh, again, I'll ask you, you know, what's your confidence level in our duo compared to other duos moving forward? So, right. So, to get back to that, Brody added 86 wins with the roster he put together, albeit a terrible bullpen that turned out, but they overcame that terrible bullpen, but close but no cigar. And what he is banking on here, what he is banking on here is that Mickey Cowler was the factor, which I think he may not have been the only factor, but a better manager could have made up at least four wins. I mean, it's all nuanced. It's all subjective. Who knows? But that, that, that is basically what we're banking on. And do I have confidence on it? Right now, with everything that I've talked about, yeah, I do. I do have confidence that – and, and I'm, I'm the one spinning it. Brody, Brody right now is coming off of an 86-win season after a losing season by Mickey Calloway with the Sandy Alderson tandem uh, combination. And after they had a successful second half, with the three-headed monster of a GM, uh, and Mickey Callaway was a part of that. Mickey Callaway then had a better follow-up season. But Mickey Callaway, come to think of it, considering he didn't just like, – there were other managerial positions. And, and mind you, I think generally speaking, it seems that coming out of the Mets position, if you can't handle it with the Mets, most people seem to think that you can't handle it anywhere else, and he went right back to being a pitching coach with Joe Madden. And it's interesting, completely tangenting really quick there, with the fact that he's following up his managerial success or non-success going to the other manager of the 2016 uh, uh, World Series. But there's always crazy connections in baseball, right? But anyway, it is interesting to think about that, that maybe Mickey Calloway is just like, you know what, I just I need to settle back in before I, I tackle this whole managerial thing. Or he might never go back. Willie Randolph hasn't been heard of since he was bench coach in, uh, in, in uh, uh, Milwaukee. So it, it, it's crazy the way, you know, this spells doom as a manager if you don't have any success here. Um, Davey Johnson went on 
to a fantastic career, even though he never, I don't think he ever won another championship. But anyway, yes, yes, I do have confidence, currently speaking, in this duo. It's wild to me how Willie Randolph never really got another job. Uh, but uh, Rich, you know, and, and and just and just saying, and sorry, sorry to, to to really quickly before you follow up with Rich, uh, Willie Randolph also had success here. Obviously, he also came close with no cigar, but generally speaking, he had success here and got fired. You know, with coming off of a collapse with a losing record, and you you you're absolutely right. You would think that somewhere else, after having relative success with a lot of different factors of, 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 you know, like with Jeff Wilton meddling in, in Pedro's health type of stuff, you know, so many different factors that he never got another chance. Just little positives to me. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something, something more to it, perhaps scuttlebutt that circulated throughout the league. Don't know. Because you'd think after his career, his distinguished career uh, as a player and coach prior to becoming manager of the Mets, you would think uh, his future was bright and it just didn't turn out that way. But Rich, you know, regardless of what happened last season, uh, although they improved nine games, they improved nine games. That's, that's, that's a good thing. I'm still very curious to see what this revamped front office is capable of. And by that, I mean, a Lord Baird, and Omar Minaya and all the other figures that BBW assembled together in that front office. So I still have an eye towards the future, and I'm very open to that. And, I, you know, I, I've commended BBW on those moves since day one, but that takes time. So here we are, off-season number two. BBW acknowledged defense. Uh, and he referenced third base, and he mentioned Jeff McNeil, and he mentioned J.D. Davis. So take out your compass and point this in the right direction for the upcoming offseason. Rich. Well, you know, I think I sound like a broken record here, but I, I like what I heard in the press conference. You know, he identified, Brody identified the three things that they need, their, their top three priorities. Get better defensively. Yeah. You know, yeah. Get better defensively is right. And, you know, maybe, Mike, and I know I'm going to press your button here, um, maybe it starts with let's, can we please, for the love of God, stop playing guys out of position? Can it just stop, please? Do we have to look at J.D. Davis in left field? Do we have to look at constantly putting guys out of position? It's an epidemic with this team that has to stop. So, you know, so get the, get the right pieces in place where you have a genuine left fielder who can play left field. You have a third baseman who's a third baseman. And so get better defensively, absolutely. I think we could probably say that if this team was good defensively, they win at minimum three more games. And let, let's, let's uh, not forget that they missed the playoffs off by three games. Okay. Add starting pitching depth. That's incredibly important for a couple of reasons. It's pretty likely, folks, Zach Wheeler's not going to come back. I heard today he might sign with the Phillies, which makes me nauseous. Um, but it's pretty, pretty likely Wheeler's not coming back. So not only do you need starting pitching depth there, 
The Mets had an anomalous season with starting pitching. 154 of their games were started by guys they projected to be their starting pitchers. That's almost unheard of, and it probably won't happen again. So not only do you need to replace Wheeler, you need to also add some quality major league depth. We don't want to see Drew Gagne. We don't want to see Chris Flexen. We don't want to see these guys. This is a team that wants to win a World Series, and World Series contending teams don't put Chris Flexen on the mound to start a game. It doesn't happen. All right? So they have to add starting pitching depth, and then they have to address the bullpen. Now, the quandary here is Brody said that, well, we have Lugo and Gesellman who might be candidates for starting pitching. Yeah, okay, I could buy that. But then the bullpen, which was weak, gets weaker. So one way or the other, you know, they have to address the bullpen. Um, it will have a, a bigger need if they make one of those guys a starter. So, but my point to answer your question is what Brody articulated in that relatively short conference he had with Gelbs, yeah, he hit the nail on the head. Those are the three primary needs. It's great to say it, but do something about it. It's like that old analogy of, uh, of the pilot flying in the plane and saying, we're descending, we're descending. Okay, we've identified the problem. Now go do something about it, Brody. And that's the challenge he has. Yeah. Sam, you know what the standard model is, you know, being strong up the middle, catch your second base short in center field. Uh, very quickly, uh, with regard to what Rich just said about Wheeler, you know, uh, Brody's a charismatic guy, uh, but it doesn't seem like he's winning over Zach Wheeler. The Mets did extend him a qualifying offer, but I don't think that's going to be good enough. And uh, I, I, I would like to see him return uh, to the Mets. I, I, I'd like to keep this pitching staff intact if, if they could. It doesn't seem to be. Uh, doesn't seem to be uh, the case here. Sam, take it away. <sighs> I think they can improve. Very, very nice. <laughs> I think they can improve from Zach Wheeler, although I love Zach Wheeler. And I always want him to do better. Um you want the whole pitching staff to do better. You're right. Like, like you want it to be like rewrite history, you know, not, and especially he wasn't there in 2015, you know? Um, so I, I, here's the thing though. He could surprise us. It could be another one of those like Carlos Beltran moments where just like he said, he wants to be a part of this. And for one more year, he could be a part of it for a lot of money. I mean, what was his, his ERA right now? I mean, guys, what what are they predicting him getting on the market? Just because of the potential, too? Uh, I, I'm just going to speak in wild numbers here, but I think the qualifying offer was upwards of $18 million. Any yes. truth to that, Rich, do you think? 18.1, yes. Okay. I'm bringing up Zach Wheeler's stats right now. Uh, last season, he posted a 3.96 ERA, and, uh, you know, that's on a downtick for most of the season. He was above four, we know. So is he trying to bet that he could get 15 to $18 million on the market, right, basically? Who knows? 
I, I will only say, don't forget what he said in spring training. In the and I believe it was in March. He says, uh, "I have no hesitation. I, I have no reservations of going into free agency." And he also said that I'm not going to give them a hometown discount. If you remember. Yeah, and and, and that's but did did Brody say in this press conference that they will look to re-sign him if he uh, drops it? No, I don't think he mentioned any specifics. Did he, Rich? Rich? No, he didn't. But he did say two things that stuck out to me: is that he felt that he would be testing the free agent market and that there would be no hometown discount. So those are the two things I remember. Yeah, so I didn't catch that part of the press conference. I just. I was going based off of what Wheeler said back in spring training. Yes, no, no, of course. Uh, just in terms of what Brody was thinking about. Uh, what, what Brody, I'm just curious what Brody was thinking about and, and how he answered that, whether he said anything, but I guess not. Um, I'll have to watch, I guess, Steve Gelbs. I mean, this is all from the Steve Gelbs interview, correct? Yeah. That's the only Brody interview that I've seen, yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who always gets first dibs, but yeah, he's good. He's good. He's good. Well, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> the, that's the lay of the that's the lay of the land when you own the network. No, let me, let, me try, let me try this one before we start wrapping this up with with a little bit of fun. I'm going to throw a couple of names at you, and you guys see if you can come with a common denominator. Come up with a common denominator. And I'll go in reverse: Carlos Beltran, Callaway, Terry Collins, Jerry Manuel. Willie Randolph and Art Howe. Stop. Do you sense or detect any common denominators, Sam? Oh, man. Ugh. Read them off again. I, I, <laughs> I listen is, I'm surprising you guys with this, and I apologize. Art Howe, Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, Terry Collins, Mickey Calloway, and Carlos Beltran. And what I'm trying to get at, those are the managers hired under sole ownership of the Wilpons, uh, be it Fred or his general managers. We know certainly not Jeff. Actually, you know, uh, Mickey was his, essentially his first effective hire. Uh, and okay. I'm trying to establish if there's any kind of trend. So Mickey, right. But let me take so the Mickey, three out of Mickey, it. You're absolutely right. Mickey is the misnomer. I'm not the misnomer, sorry. Terrible word to use there. Mickey is the is – the, um, what word am I trying to come up with, guys? The the outlier, the outlier. Jeez. Mickey's the outlier in all of those because, really, the connection Art Howe is just that that was them trying an experienced manager, and and it just it just what worked in Oakland just didn't work here. Um, Willie Randolph was Omar Minaya trying a big splash and giving a longtime coach, an opportunity, especially somebody who not only grew up a Mets fan, but grew up in the city and, and uh, was a Yankees legend. So it made that totally made sense. Uh, Jerry Manuel was just there, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> already. Uh, and then Terry Collins obviously has the Fred Wilpon connections with Sandy Koufax and whatnot. Uh, and then Mickey Calloway is just a complete Sandy Alderson Thing. Uh and then coming it coming back around to Brody and the connection to him being you know buddy buddy with Jeff as you've always said, Mike. Uh, Beltron is something they are familiar with. 
Rich? Well, uh, oof, there's a lot. There's a lot there. Um, when I, I have to say this, I know this wasn't the question, but when you mentioned the Amar Howe, I kind of shuddered a bit. I, I, I kind of. <laughs> You kind of want to forget about that, you know. <laughs> and, um, but if I do the math backwards on that, wasn't our Art Howe would have been the first hire under exclusive ownership? What's that? That is correct. He was the first hire under exclusive Wilpon ownership. And and you think about it, right? And think about some of the quotes that came out of that, which was 17 years ago now. Um, he lit up the room, and Art Howe lit up the room. We knew after we spoke to him that he was the guy, right? They they kind of use those terms in other places. They said the same thing about Mickey, and 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 I don't know what to make of it. You know, they the Wilpons under sole ownership ha, um, have gone in a couple different directions. So you have Hal and Calloway, who were they lit up the room. Okay, what does that exactly mean? Then. They took on a guy like Willie, who completely different direction, a guy with a lot of pedigree, you know, had been around the Yankees forever in that winning culture, had been a, a base coach, had been a bench coach. So at that point, they went in a different direction. Um, Jerry Manuel, I thought, was an enormous mistake. And um, how, I, I first of all, I have never, ever for the life of me understood how when you fire a manager, especially during midseason, you go with the bench coach. What in the living hell does that prove? You're keeping – the bench coach is a big part of the culture of the team. You're getting rid of the manager and putting the bench coach in. What did that exactly do? So, anyway, uh, I thought Jerry was a terrible hire. So, I think what we're getting at here, Mike, is that the Wilpons' track record of hiring managers is <laughs> something less than stellar. I mean, of that <laughs> I mean, seriously, uh, now that you ask the question that way, I've never really thought about it. But of that no, crowd... But, uh, but like, uh, can, I just say, though, can I just say, though, that uh, our, our uh, friend and buddy, John Coppinger of Metstradamus, likes to refer to Mickey Calloway as handsome Art Howe. Now, number That's one, no, <laughs> number one um, Mickey won more games. Let's just let's put put that out there. He definitely won more games than Art Howe ever did. And number two, I think that's underselling how handsome Art Howe actually was. <laughs> um, but when you think about lit it, lit up the room. Lit up the room. Yeah, right. Exactly. The, the track record isn't good. Of that crowd, I would take Willie hands down over any one of them, other than other than Beltron, of course. Um, and the jury's out on Carlos, but Willie Randolph was professional. Uh, he may have been a little in, a little tense, but w- whatever. He was professional. I always thought he got an incredible raw deal from the Mets. And um, quite frankly, if I look at the rest of that group, I wouldn't give you a dime for any one of them. And uh, I hate so to wait, it, but it's- so wait a second. So wait a second. Is there an alternate universe where the Wilpons and that whole Mets? Uh, uh, tandem, which includes Omar Naya, who is still there. Um, they and, and and let's give them credit; they are not as uh, um, dysfunctional as they haven't been, and we're grading on a curve here. They've, they they had three winning seasons in uh, five seasons. That's actually better than they've ever done. 
<laughs> right? Well, actually, I guess 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008, but that was some of the worst memories in Mets history, so I don't, it's hard to count that. But at the same time, I still think, weirdly enough, as much as we still criticize them and we started giving them a little bit more props last offseason, they've still, they've still grown. But go back to my first point in starting the sentence. In an alternate universe, the Wilpons are functional. And Willie Randolph is still manager of the New York Mets on his way to a Hall of Fame managerial career. <laughs> You're enough. <laughs> uh, I'd like to wrap up, Rich, with your email and your Mets trivia. Before we do that, I, I wanted to advise you this way you could just refresh it for us. But I figure we go through the managers real quickly under the Double Day era. Uh, I will leave off where Joe Torrey ends and George Bamberger picks up. Because Joe Torrey was still hired under the Payson era and bled into the Double Day era. So George Bamberger is effectively Frank Cashin's first new hire as a manager of the Mets. Uh, from there, Bamberger says, I've had it, can't take this no more. He goes home. Frank Howard takes over. And I was a big, friend, uh, a big fan of Hondo. I really was. Uh, actually, I thought, you know, I contemplated back then moving forward with him. guess that wasn't to be. Uh, Davey Johnson was a hire. Buddy Harrelson was an interim manager. And uh, uh, Rich, when he uh, managed the next season, was that under a new contract? It was under a new contract, wasn't it? When Buddy Harrelson managed, what, 91? One, yeah, it was. Um, okay. He was interim when Davey was let go in the right. 90s season. And then um, I believe it was a one-year contract. And you know, that 91 team was competitive um, until September. And I remember they had a couple of really big series against the Pirates in um, in early September and just didn't weren't able to beat them. Um, but, you know, Buddy was short-lived because they wanted Torborg. Um, and hey. <laughs> Another disaster. Right. He's the next official hire, Jeff Torborg, followed by Dallas Green (laughs) and Bobby Valentine. And out of that whole group, uh, you know, we know Davey Johnson was the players' manager insofar as them letting letting them do whatever they want just as long as they showed up and and did their jobs. But I see a lot of strong-minded people here, George George Bamberger, uh, Frank Howard was definitely not someone to be pushed around. You know, Davey Johnson stood his ground. Uh, Dallas Green was certainly nobody to push around. And Bobby Valentine was very strong-minded as well. The only weak link there, you know, was Jeff Torborg. And you notice I don't even bring up my cubbage. He's a non-factor to me. But I see a lot of strong-minded individuals there. And when you look at the two groups, uh, Doubleday and post-Doubleday, I think there's a, a very, very uh, – noticeable difference in the methods of, methods to the madness, so to say. Rich, if you want to elaborate any, elaborate any more on that one. Um, no, I, I think you pretty much hit it, Mike. I think, um, you know, Torborg was the guy that uh, – it was very very typical Joe McElvain. Um, Joe McElvain always went seemed to oh, – I'm sorry, I take that back. Al Harrison, I apologize. Al Harrison wanted the shiny new penny all the time. And by that point, remember, McIlvain had left the organization in the early 90s. And so Torborg had done well with the White Sox. 
and um, and he was considered, you know, a, a, a strong brain, a former catcher, all of that. I remember in that postseason hearing Harrison say we wanted to get a qualified, experienced manager, um, a guy who had won, and, and we couldn't believe Jeff Torborg was available, and we jumped all over it. So it was a very quick hire, if you remember. Um, and And they went for the shiny new toy, right? And so that, and then... I love Dallas Green personally. Um, I love the cowboy in him. I love the, you know, no-nonsense approach he took. I remember when um, the team didn't do well, didn't do well under him at all. Um, but I remember he would call them out. You know, he would say, we're not good. You know, we're not catching the baseball. We're not hitting the baseball. He didn't mince words, and I loved him for that. And then Bobby Valentine, you know, a little bit kind of a nutty professor kind of a guy. But he knew the game so well, you had to respect him. You know, you, you had no choice but to respect him. And I know that, um, remember what Cliff Floyd said? You know, Cliff Floyd said he, he couldn't stand Bobby Valentine, um, that everybody wanted to beat the Mets because they couldn't stand Bobby Valentine and his, and his um, hubris, right? Um, but then, you know, but Bobby was one of those guys that if he was on your team and he was your manager, you loved him. You know, but if, if he was on a different team, a different manager, managing a different team, you hated him because of that, you know, that I'm smarter than you thing going on. So so those are my thoughts. And he blew a great bubble. He can grow. He, he can blow a great, great bubblegum bubble. I have that yeah, picture. I, I remember I old pictures. An old Mets yearbook, and it's in there where he had the – somebody had the measuring thing around the bubble, and uh, and he won the contest. 2000, uh, I'm sorry, 1978, I was a little, 2078, 1978 is my favorite losing retro to me being born next season. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, there's something to be said for that, Sam, I agree with you. Uh, there's definitely something to be said for that. Uh, at that stage in the game, you know, uh, hey, you know, sometimes losing can be, uh, you know, endearing. Many fans across the nation know what we're talking about. But any comments on the double date era managers? Um, the Jeff Torborg thing. I, I really need to read the book. I've never read the book, uh, The Worst Team Money Can Buy. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's too bad that that football ESPN show failed. And I guess so did the, the – uh, I mean, it, you know, it's funny that ESPN was starting to make content and then was just like, yeah, we didn't do a good job. Let's, let's not. And then everybody else makes content. <laughs> so it's just funny to me that, like, you know, there's other places for sports content, but ESPN was just, like, had two shows and was like, I guess we're good. Um, but, like, you'd think, like, as ugly as it was, it could be interesting for compelling television. I'm sure 1986 could be, <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, it's I I I I think that the Dallas Green stuff is interesting because um, he he seems like a stand-up fellow. He obviously won with the Phillies, you know, got them their first championship ever, and unfortunately is a little bit more maligned. But but at the same time. You know, you look back at that, and while, you know, I guess Dallas Green's kind of the Mickey Calloway in a little bit longer terms of the 90s in some fashion, because 
uh, obviously they didn't do great with him, but, um, you know, they didn't do awful. Well, especially coming off of 93, like how can you, you really, uh, you know, how can you, how can you judge <laughs> off of that? But um, obviously the, the, the bottom line was the number one manager of that era pre the Wilpons. Um well, the number one manager is obviously David Johnson, but after that, in terms of the 90s, obviously, in terms of uh, after they they were able to get the, the plane off the ground in the 80s and came tumbling down at the, by, by the end of it, well, by the end of the, the era, the Frank Cashin era, um, Bobby Valentine is is right there. And unfortunately, they weren't able to get the uh, – the ball over over the uh, the end zone to to cross uh, sports metaphors there, but and it's really funny, guys, to totally tangent that 1999 seems more endearing to people than the the team that you know lost to the Yankees. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with that 100. percent 99 was definitely more endearing to me, Rich. Yeah, I think it was. I think in 99 you had um, – that series against the Braves was one of the most compelling series that they've lost. You know what I mean? That the, Being down three games to none, coming back and, and making it three to two, you know, the Grand Slam single. Um, there were a lot of emerging players that year. Jay Payton emerged that year. Benny Agbayani emerged that year. Remember they were in the tank um, in early June. I remember going to the Sunday night game at Yankee Stadium. The Mets had lost the first two games of the series and expecting them to get smotch, you know, to get to get absolutely pummeled. And uh Piazza hit a grand slam off of Clemens and they were on their way. Uh there was the Clemens beanball later in the year, which was a rallying cry for the Mets. So, um it was a very endearing team. There were a lot of ups and downs that season. It was a team that was easy to love. Now Rich, we're gonna we're gonna close this out with trivia. You have a Great piece of trivia for us. Bring it on. Well, I want to say it, it's um, I'm in a ticket buying group with a guy, and he's been he's a baseball fanatic, and so he's been sending me quizzes to keep baseball alive, right? And so I thought this one was fascinating. So I'm not sure what you want me to do. Do you want me to give the answers or just throw the questions out? But um, yeah, what he's saying is first. okay. So 16 players. 16 players are in the Hall of Fame who have worn a Mets uniform, okay? Um, and he asked to name them, and he, and he gave me some hints. He gave me the positions, and he gave me their bat throw. Now, the one thing I would say is a couple of these guys performed multiple roles in baseball in their time in baseball. And what? Can I, can I ask what? you something, Rich? Sure. Um, can you, since I saw in the email that it was broken down into category, can we attempt to answer category to category? First? Oh, absolutely. Instead of laying absolutely. them all out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Instead, instead of laying them all out there first. Let's break so, it down first. There's 16 people. Uh, players would, you know, involve players. So there's actually two managers here, 16 people, two managers, three catchers, five pitchers, two infielders, four outfielders. That equals 16. Now, the question is, who are they? So Right. And but the one thing I'll say, though, is in a couple of cases, 
people were, did multiple things, and it's what they went in the Hall of Fame as. So they went in as a blank, as a pitcher, as a this, as a that. You have to think of that because you'll get tripped up like I did because some of these people did, did multiple things in baseball. So I just want to make sure everybody understands that and not fall into the trap I did. Okay, let's give it a shot. Now, Rich, you have all the answers, of course, right? I, I'm looking right at them. I got about okay, 80% so, of them. But yeah. All right, so, Sam, as far as managers concerned, I will start, and I will take the safest route because he's the most recent and say Joe Torrey. That is correct, sir. And Sam? Yes. Joe Torrey, obviously, Nate. Joe Torre obviously makes sense. So um, two that are in the Hall of Fame, Joe Torre, obviously, and who else? Oh, God. Um, looking through it. Oh, Casey Stengel. That is correct. Nice job. I missed Stengel. <laughs> I missed yeah, Casey. Yeah, 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 Very good. Because he was the first. But then you're like, oh, yeah. You're, like, you're looking back at it. You're like, what other Hall of Fame manager was there? And it's like, well, Duh. Sorry, Rich. <laughs> I'm not trying. No, I, I missed it, and he yelled at me. Miles yelled at me for that one. So, all right, um, three catchers, two of which are right-handed uh, hitters. One is a left-handed hitter. Go. Oh, okay. Say it again. Say it again. Three catchers, two are right-handed hitters. One's a left-handed hitter. Okay. Now, Gary Carter, Mike. Gary Carter, Mike Piazza. I'll, I'll go ahead, Rick, uh, Mike. The last one. No, uh, Yogi Berra. Right, and I, the yeah, mistake right. I made was I put I put Berra as one of the managers, and then I couldn't get the left-handed hitting catcher. But he said Berra is in the Hall of Fame as a catcher, not as a manager. Torrey's right. in as a manager, not as a player. So you guys are doing much better than I did. Okay, five pitchers, three right-handed, two left-handed. Mike, go ahead. Also, uh, Tom Glavin, left-hander. Correct. Correct. It's Tom Siebert. Correct. <laughs> this is embarrassing um, now. Uh, 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 who have been a uh, not Dwight Gooden. Ooh. Um, no. Oh wait, I know one spot. That shade. Warren Spahn is correct. Jeez. Oh, good one. Two more, guys. Okay. I missed you more. Two more. Wait, 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 wait. What what side? What what arm? Both right-handed. Both right-handed. Both both right-handed. Hold on. Mike, Mike, hold on for a second. Hold on. Both (laughs) right-handed who have worn Metcalf, who have worn Metcalf as pitchers, uh, right-handed, who is in the whole thing. I'm struggling on this. Oh, Pedro uh, Martinez. Pedro Martinez. Correct. One more. Good one. You're Sam. missing the one I missed. Uh. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna kick yourselves. Oh my God! I'm kicking myself already. Oh no! Right, no wait, it? he didn't get it. He's not there. All right, who is it, Rich? Oh, get the feet ready, Nolan Ryan. Oh, <laughs> All right, almost done. Okay. I will tell you this. 
for some reason, when I did the quiz, and of course I didn't use any any resources, these two came to me instantly. I don't know why. And Miles said everybody misses these, and these were the two I got most easily for some reason. Two infielders, both switch hit, both switch hitters. I got these already. Uh, is was Ricky Henderson switch hitter? Rich, you know what? This one came instantly as well. Was Ricky Henderson a switch hitter? No, Ricky's right hand hitter. Ricky, Ricky was a right hander. Okay. Yeah. And he was an outfielder. And he, um, who's a Hall, who's a Hall of Famer? Uh, Richie Ashburn. The outfielder. Richie Ashburn is not an outfielder. No, he is running fielders. Two switch hitting infielders. Oh, oh, oh sorry, 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 sorry. Oh, uh, Jack Kent. Uh, I'm with you. <laughs> this came instantly. I'm with you, Rich. And I don't know why, Mike. I don't know why. But they came instantly. Wait, two, two infielders what again? Both switch hitters. But right, 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 of course. Um, two infielders, both switch hitters. Uh, Eddie I'll Murray? Out there. Who? Eddie Murray? Correct. Yes. Okay. Um, and um, um, another Hall of Famer infielder. Um, uh, another acquisition. And obviously, obviously there are only two have a Met, only two have a Met uh, logo on their helmet. Um, infielder who's in the Hall of Oh my God! Ew! Somebody, somebody who's <laughs> I know, I know who it is. I know who it is. It's 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 the it's a Met factor, right? Like people don't like the fact that he he performed the way he performed, correct? Yes. Robbie <laughs> <laughs> Alomar. Yes. Robbie Alomar. All right. Guys, four outfielders. You've already said most of the names, and I'm going to – since you already said them, I'm going to tell you who you said already. Ricky Henderson is one. Um, oh, right, of course. And, right. Rick, Rich, Richie Ashburn is another. You're missing two outfielders who are in the Hall of Fame who at one point or another – War Mets blue and orange. Who are they? They are both right-handed hitters. I know who they are. Outfielder. Okay. Who uh, wore a Mets? Um. We got Ricky. We got Richie. Um, what, what, what? What is going to slap you in the face like Nolan Ryan did? Yep. <laughs> right. Okay. Um. We're not talking. Oh my God! We're not talking. Where was Joe Torre on? Oh, he's not in there as an infielder, right? Okay. Uh, he's not um. Uh. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Oh, Jesus! Infielder. No outfielder. No outfielder. Outfielder. I why do I keep I keep switching them every time. I'm like outfield, you're like infield, and I'm like infield, you're like outfield. Um, I'm trying to just go across like that's history out there. I can give you errors if you want, Sam, to help. Okay. All right. Uh, we'll call it Mets prehistoric era for the for one, and then Mets. Um, oh, Dick Snyder. Dick Snyder. Correct. You're on the last one, and it's going to kick you in the pants, Sam. Um, uh, if I tell you, I think you're going to get it too easily. So we'll say 
not prehistoric, but historic era. Jeez. Um, his cap, his cap always used to fall off. There you go. His cap. Oh, of course. Duh. Cool. I don't need to say it. It's all good. I, I, I'm sorry. Let me let me say it. I don't need to say hey it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> You guys That's are it. good. You uh, guys are 16. good. I, that was a great question. Uh, some of those names. Yeah, no, that was good. I mean, like, no, a lot of them are like when you when you think about it. Even though we don't, we didn't get it. Like, they really are alley oops. But, but it's it's a fun game to play. I'll tell you who was slow to come to my mind. Gary Carter. I don't know how that is. Pedro was slow oh, to come really? to mind. I don't know how that is. And obviously, Nolan Ryan was slow to come to mind. Well, that's why I said those two first, with Gary and, and Mike. Um, I don't believe it. Uh, it's 9-12. Nine, it's we have three minutes, technically. Let's say we're going to 9-20. Rich, you got another one for us. <laughs> I actually do, and if you guys want to keep doing this, I have it. He sent me another one. Um, All right. Let's do one more, and we'll save, let's do one more and we'll save some for, for another time. And, and, and we got to get this guy on. Oh, what's his I want him on. Again, shameless plug, shameless plug. Uh, his name is Miles. I'll, I'll make sure he's okay with me saying his last name. I'll ask him, but his name is Miles. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he's uh, he's in our. He organizes our ticket buying group. He's a hell of a guy. I, I went to the September 28th game this year. I'd never met him. Um, I'm now in his ticket buying group, and he is he's a good dude. So all right, I'm going to give you one last quick trivia question. Uh, one that he sent me. It's real quick. Um, I'm going to give you a bunch of names. Tell me what they have in common as Hall of Famers. Okay, here we go. Whitey Ford, Cy Young, Dizzy Dean, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Trevor Hoffman, Catfish Hunter, Juan Marshall, Phil Necro, Gaylord Perry, Robin Roberts, Hoyt Wilhelm. What do they have in common as Hall of Famers? Oh, shit. What do, give us the list again. What do they have in common as Hall of Famers? What's the list again? Yes. Here we go. Whitey Ford, Cy Young. Dizzy Dean, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, Trevor Hoffman, Catfish, Juan Marichal, Phil Necro, Gaylord Perry, Robin Roberts, Hoyt Wilhelm. Damn you, a save in the World Series. Not the fact that they're lefties? Uh, no. Um, and I, I well, answered when. And they're not, they're lefties. They're not lefties. Okay. They're not all lefties, no, they're not all lefties. Uh, wow, what do they have in common as Hall of Famers other than their old pictures? <laughs> the only thing I can think of. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, give us a hit, Rich, come on. Um, I said they were. I said that was easy. Miles are all pitchers. He goes, no, that's what they have in common as players. What do they have in common as Hall of Famers? Um, it's something that. Let me give you one that might tip you off. I think I gave you a lot of names. Think about uh, Phil Necro. What's kind of weird about his Hall of Fame thing? They think about. No, good, good call though. But no. Phil Necro, think about um, – I, I 300 losses? 
You're <laughs> close. I'll, I'll give you the answer. The answer to this one is they were all not first ballot Hall of Famers. They all did not get in on the first oh, ballot. Wow. Wow. So can you read the list again? To, so I'm kind of curious whether we think some of them should have been. Whitey Ford, I would have thought, was in on the first ballot. Yes. Absolutely. Cy Young, of course. What year was Right? Cy Young. Dizzy Dean. Dizzy Dean. Raleigh Fingers and Goose Gossage. I would and Trevor Hoffman. I would have thought all of them would have been first ballot. Catfish it Hunter. A, it's, it's a reliever thing. Yeah. Right, maybe. Catfish. Uh, you know, I don't remember his career well enough. He was in the American League, but I always thought he was first ballot. Catfish had five consecutive 20, 20 win seasons, no hitters, championships. Oh, that should have been a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Ron Marshall, before our time, we don't, I don't remember him so much, but Phil Necro obviously was a, was a lukewarm proposition oh. because he had all those wins, he had all those losses. So that's the one I tried to give you guys a hint. Right. I tried to give you guys a hint on him because he clearly was not a first ballot. Um, Gaylord Perry, another one. He had a lot of losses but a lot of wins. Robin Roberts was, a, was and Hoyt Wilhelm were before our time. Wait, can we also say that Gaylord Perry also cheated a lot? <laughs> I'm okay with that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Maybe not cheated a lot, but very creatively manipulated the baseball. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I mean, I mean, it is very entertaining watching him, and especially when Reggie's just so pissed. Just like, just like, are you Are you kidding it's just like it's like it's like and then like Keith and and the guys in the dugout looking at the, the stuffed balls. Excellent question though. Uh, Star Young, that was, that one kind of threw me off. I was thinking, I don't know, maybe all of them had a save in the World Series. So uh, anyway, no, but it's funny that the, it's funny that they didn't let him in the first year, and then years later we're like, yeah, we're just gonna name the the award after him. Uh, you know what? There's a. I forgot. You know what? Let me not get into it because I'll probably be uh, I'll sound foolish. Let's just get into our final word. Excellent discussion this evening, guys. Everyone, you've been listening to a Mexican podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. Uh, I had a lot of fun tonight speaking. Mets celebration of Carlos Beltran becoming or being named the 22nd manager of the New York Mets. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And congratulations. So let's get into our final word, Sam. Cautiously excited. Um, I I think that, you know, I remember going into 2005 with a lot of cautious excitement. You know, it was my first year as like a full-on Mets fan, but I was excited to be a full-on Mets fan. And, Specifically, I, I you know I, I actually wasn't even cautiously excited. I was just like, this is going to work. And obviously, I was presented with you know a, a seesaw, a very seesaw season. The seesaw season, <laughs> really. Like when you when you, I'm sure we could have that whole uh, tangent at some point, which is the word of the night. But I, I think that um, with this specifically, now that I've I've been as has, uh, uh, you know, gone through the fire as I have after all these years. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm entering my 15th anniversary as a full-on Mets fan, 
which includes the Carlos Beltran era being my first era. And I think that we can certainly call it the Carlos Beltran era because Pedro uh, certainly brought the Mets um, respect, you know, brought them, you know, to Carlos in many ways, but he was already very much established as guaranteed Hall of Famer. Carlos came here to solidify his most likely Hall of Fame career, and that was my first time as a Mets fan. So that's probably one of the reasons why it's so surreal seeing him put that uniform back on. And especially with that gut, too, you're just like, yo, Carlos, you know, I know you just used the medicine ball as a player, but there's ways to keep this off now that you're uh... – <laughs> anyway, I just throw a little shade his way, but uh, maybe the grind will, will help him uh, stay in shape. Uh, maybe he'll be picking up that medicine ball in that very uh, state-of-the-art Mets facility they have uh, for, the, for uh, the workout facility in that, uh, that clubhouse that, that people have toured. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that uh, that's why my words uh, of, of cautious optimism kind of resonate. I, I, I had this picture of, in 2005, and ironically with, all, with Carlos Beltran coming in to replace Mike Cameron in center field. That was, that was a big deal at the time, too. Um, the, the cover of, of whatever sports uh, edition, whatever day the sports New York Times was, um, it was in color of spring training, and it was Mike Cameron doing some calisthenics or workout with the rest of the team, but they were focused on Mike Cameron, ironically. And it was about the fact, I think maybe even the article specifically at that day had to do with him shifting over to right field. But those are some of the memories that come up when you see Carlos Beltran. Those are some of the memories that, that uh, resonate with me because they're some of my first full-on Mets memories. Uh, you know, the 1999 team is probably the most resonant team with me when it comes to my Yankee era. The 1999, the 1999 Mets team is the most resonant with me of my Yankee era. Um, and uh, outside of that, I would say, you know, it, it, it's, it's all about, it's really about 2015, but it's all about those first memories, too, of solidifying it. And then come 2009, I was strapped in on the second to last day of, of Mets baseball, and I wasn't going anywhere. So here we are now. 10 years later, and Carlos Beltran is the manager of the New York Mets. It's very surreal. A lot of people think it's going to be disastrous, but I'm cautiously excited to see what's about to happen. Bienvenidos. Uh, congratulations, Carlos Beltran. Uh, but my final word would be for the fourth manager in Mets history, Gil Hodges. Hopefully, by this time next year, he will be uh, enshrined into Baseball's Hall of Fame by the Golden Era Committee. And, and he will be the... on that list. Thank you, Sam. He would be the fourth member of that list to be in the Hall of Fame, joining Casey Stengel, Yogi Berra, and Joe Torre. So let's make that happen, Golden Era Committee. And, Rich, I will pass on to you for your final word. Well, um, I'm, gonna, I'm not sure if it's the right word to use here, but I'm going to say karma, and I'll tell you why. 
You know, the Mets have been about, you know, miracles and magic, you know, that old Met magic and that kind of thing. There's When they do win, we've always pointed to some greater power at work. You know, I think about the 86 World Series, right? We all know what I'm talking about. So maybe with Beltran coming back, maybe that's exactly where we are. Maybe he does have to rewrite history. Maybe he's maybe this is sort of like a movie where the 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 hero gets a chance to go back to something and right or wrong. Not that Beltran did anything wrong, is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is his era here he didn't win as a player. So now he's back and he has a chance to rewrite history like he said. So maybe all the stars are lining up for the Mets to once again experience that that kismet, that karma thing. Um, and maybe hiring Beltran was the first step on the way. So I'm very excited. Um, we don't know what will happen. We would have known what was going to happen if it were Girardi. So we don't know what will happen, but maybe the karma is starting to line up in the Mets' direction this time around. And with that, gentlemen, thank you for another intriguing night of Mets baseball. Sam, take us out of here the only way we know how. Let's go. Let's Let's Go next. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. So with that said, good night, everyone. Enjoy your next week to come in Metsville. Hope to be speaking with you real soon. Good night, all. Good night.